The Mysterious Circumstances podcast is hosted by Justin Rimmel. This is an American Crimecast production. Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Hey everybody, this is Justin. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. Uh, Before we get started, I do have a few things to say. First of which, uh, Epic Lamb, I got your review. I did read it. Um, I did ask a few people in the group if they had the same problem. A couple of them did, but most of them didn't. I will say this, if you do usually listen to me on iTunes and you have problems and have to go to another source in order to listen to me, Um, first what you need to do is click the unsubscribe button and then re-click the subscribe button. That has helped for pretty much everybody. Uh, there are still a few that say it didn't work. Uh, that's personally what I had to do and that worked just fine for me. So try that. If it doesn't work, please get a hold of me. Send me an email, mysteriouscircumstances99 at gmail.com or stop by the group or the Facebook page, something, um... And and let me know, please. And if I need to, I will get a hold of e- iTunes because <clears throat> it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if they fucking hated me or something. So whatever. Uh, next order of business is Mysterious Circumstances Magazine. All right. There's a podcast, which is what I do, and there's a magazine, which is what I do not do. Um. The people who run Mysterious Circumstances Magazine have been sending me screenshots of reviews and case suggestions. This is not my podcast Facebook page. Um, They are nice enough to think it's very amusing and they're very cool and I'm actually going to have one of them on and we're going to do an episode together just so we can set the record straight. Look for my logo. Look for the word podcast. You know, look for for the pictures. Um, Stop on by. Just come in the group if you want to. I don't care. Um, But... Just so you are aware, be please be aware of what you are liking, what Facebook page you are liking before you start leaving reviews and case suggestions. So I obviously I do not get all those. I respond to every single review, case suggestion that I get. Every single fucking one of them. So come on by the right Facebook page. We'll get it all squared away. Next order of business. As some of you heard on my shoutouts and reviews episode, the very infamous episodes that I put out about once every month or so, uh, I went the fuck off on the Dirty Bits podcast. Somebody left me a shitty ass fucking review, which let me get let me just say this right now: I have nothing against bad reviews, but at least prove to me that you listen to fucking content or make the goddamn thing constructive. If you start attacking me personally, I'm going to get fucking pissed. I don't give a fuck if you like me or not. Really don't. I got family that don't fucking like me, and I'm still living just fine, alright? But, if you're going to leave a bad review, fucking make this shit constructive and at least prove to me that you fucking listened to an episode. But anyway, as it turns out, that was not Tawny 
from the Dirty Bits podcast. She was nice enough to message me the next day. And, uh, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I probably should have messaged her first before I went the fuck off, but I did not. That would have been the professional thing to do. I'm very, very far from a professional. So, um, I issued her an apology in the group. We are actually pretty fucking cool now. We talked it out. She understands where I was coming from. You know, she, she definitely, you know, she understands. So, we talked it out. We were cool. Uh, in her words, we are besties now. So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. She's a very, very cool chick, and I actually did take the time to listen to her podcast, and for those of you who have not listened to my reviews episode where I did that, don't bother going back in there and trying to listen to it. I deleted all that shit out. So, I actually did listen to uh, the Dirty Bits podcast, and her and George do a fucking pretty good job. Like, uh, they, they got a pretty good podcast over there. It's actually very entertaining. I could listen to her read a fucking phone book. She has an amazing voice. Uh, so, you know, if you guys want to, want to check it out, I'm actually going to play a promo for it here in a second. So this is the official, um, apology. Tawny, I am sorry. I was wrong. I am, uh, not too big of a person to admit when I fuck up. And I definitely fucked up there, and I do apologize for that. Um, you know, I can't I can't go back and change what I said or did, but now that I know it is not you and we are cool, I do officially apologize. So, you guys are about to hear a promo from her podcast. I'm trying to uh, make this right by her. And while you guys listen to that, I am going to go grab another beer. Hi, I'm Tawny Plattis. And I host the Dirty Bits Podcast, a show where I very casually retell the sexy, scandalous, and salacious stories your teacher probably left out. We premiere a new episode every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Visit us at tawnyvoice.com slash dirtybits to learn more. See you next Tuesday. All right. Again, Tawny, I do apologize for that. Uh, somebody should have chose a better username for their shitty iTunes review. So, um, hope I hope I made that right by you. Uh, I apologize again. All right. Now, starting off this episode, I have to point out that uh, on the skeptic side of things, uh, Ellie brought up some very good points. But I do have to say that I'm going to take the famous psychic quote-unquote debunkers out of the fucking equation, and here's why. As some of you know, like Elliot stated, James Randi is a supposed famous psychic debunker. Now, everybody who's a skeptic is really, really, really big on documentation. They want facts. They want fucking evidence. James Randi is said to have debunked about a thousand psychics. <clears throat> Since I believe 1964, I want to say. I could be wrong. That really doesn't matter. The fact is that I've only seen documented evidence of him actually debunking probably about 6 to 10 people. Um, it depends if you count groups into the equation. Uh, the thing about James Randi that people don't understand as well is that there is a shitload of red tape around the whole James Randi uh, debunking million-dollar prize thing. One of which being a Randi quote, which actually says, and I quote, 
concerning the challenge, I always have an out. That's a little bit concerning. Another thing that we have to know is that James Randi has actually rejected some applicants before, one of which being a man named uh, Rico Kolodzny. Uh, he has stated that he has survived without food since 1998. Now, originally Randy had rejected his application. And there's a very good reason, which I will get to here in a second. Now, in 2006, Randy finally agreed to test his claims. And the, the two parties were unable to agree on a venue to do this in. And a uh, controlled environment as well. Because that's the other thing. Randy has... He will travel. He will send people there. Uh, he physically does not have to be there. But it has to be a very, very, very controlled environment. The other thing about this is, is that the person has to be 100% accurate. There is no quote-unquote psychic, okay, in the history of fucking mankind that or anything paranormal or anything mysterious, which is what this million dollar prize is for, that is 100 fucking percent. And that goes with everything. And in just case you folks didn't know, the only fucking thing in this life that is 100% guaranteed is that one day you will fucking die. That is the only thing in this life that is guaranteed. Therefore, he makes it extremely fucking hard, and he does have all of the odds stacked in his favor for this $1 million prize. Another person who was rejected was a group that referred to themselves as Yellow Bamboo. Um, a gentleman named Pak Syringin, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, he said he could knock down attackers at a distance only using a piece of yellow bamboo. Now, he sent video clips in, and he was rejected because supposedly the video clip was at night, and people watched the video and said that it looked like they were using an electroshock weapon and that it didn't look legit. So they technically have not even been considered because of that reason. Another thing that uh, is pretty interesting about some of the all these rules regarding the applicants is that up until uh, March 8th, 2011, you, um, you needed either... Press, you needed press clippings, you needed a letter from an academic institution, and a public video demonstrating your ability. Now what this did was this excluded a lot of people from, say, third world countries and other people who, you know, didn't might not have brought any of their quote-unquote abilities uh, to the forefront and got, like, any kind of media exposure or anything like that. Now in 2011, he did change the rules a little bit. Um, to allow people to submit, say, uh, an online video per, like, social media and shit like that. But, still, it should be noted, nobody has collected this, uh, million dollar prize. Another little interesting fact about that million dollar prize is that it's not really a million dollars. It is actually a handwritten check for $10,000, and the rest of the money is in bonds. It is in, uh, I believe, negotiable bonds. Now, there is a woman uh, by the name of... 
Her name was Rosemary Altea or Altea or Altea. It's A-L-T-E-A. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, nor is that part important. But she agreed to take the challenge, but she ended up backing out uh, via Twitter because she found out that the million dollar prize was not actually a million dollars, but it was in the form of, like I said, negotiable bonds, and it was held within the James Randi Educational Foundation prize account. Now, validation of the account and the prize amount could always be supplied on demand, but it should be noted that there were no actual, like, million dollars in cash. You're not getting a fucking check for a million dollars. This was all in bonds and bullshit like that. So she ended up, she found that out, and that is when she decided to back out. So, moving forward from that, it should also be noted that I have been asked a million fucking times what my opinion on this is. I have no opinion. Maybe I'll tell it to you at the end. Maybe I won't. Because at the end of the day, my job as a podcaster is to give you the most unbiased information that I can possibly give so that you can make your judgment. Now, in doing that, I have to have a little side note and say, if you are a skeptic who has never personally had any kind of experience with a psychic, then I don't really hold your opinion to very much face value. Because that means you are basing everything on something that somebody else said, or something that somebody else did, and that that's, I don't want to say naive, but it kind of is. You have to experience this for yourself in order to understand it, and in order to have an open mind about it. Now, as we all know, if you go to research as a skeptic, and this is not, you know, against Ellie, because I asked her to research as a skeptic. If you're going to research as a skeptic, you're always going to find things wrong. If you research as a believer, you're always going to find things right. That's the way it is. You have to approach this as a skeptic, but with an open mind. Because at the end of the day, you know, not fucking many of us have seen a million fucking dollars in cash. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, and we all fucking know that it's out there somewhere. Just because we personally have not seen it or experienced it does not mean that it doesn't exist, and we have to keep that in the back of our mind. Now, moving forward with those, you know, opening statements, I guess you could say, I really wanted to start this letter, or start this letter, start this episode with a letter from Morton Blumenthal, who we had mentioned in episode 2, um, to Edgar Casey, which is dated on uh, December 25th, Christmas Day, 1926. And it says, Not for fame and not for name, not for power, luxury, or pain. Not even for that called by man, success do I strive and work and strain. But rather that in my humble way I may contribute my small share to the whole cause of creation, doing my bit for a cause so glorious in itself, so outstanding in its ideal for life, truth, and love. And last but not least, a cause born, fostered and administered of a creator whose essence permeates the whole and whose creative power is the only reality I can find within or outside of myself. My shoulder to the wheel of creation, I serve its purpose for the glorification and in the effort, behold, I became aware of myself being it, its glory, my glory. It's purpose, my purpose. 
its process, my process. I lose myself in it, but to find myself again, this power of life and creation, such is the lesson of life and once learned. Now, I stated that letter because this is how Blumenthal wanted to approach Edgar Cayce. As we had stated in episode 2, the Blumenthals were huge financial backers. They single-handedly, uh, it was Morton and Edwin Blumenthal, they single-handedly financed the Casey Hospital and actually bought uh, Edgar Casey a house. Now, the reason I bring this up is because in order to research Edgar Casey on whether he was real or fake, we have to also research the people around him. The Blumenthals were a big part of Ace, er, Casey's life towards the end. Now, why this was important is because Morton Blumenthal had a lot of readings from Casey, most of which being dream interpretation. But towards the end of his life, Casey, um, as long as he knew ahead of time, he agreed to do financial readings as well. Now, why this is important is because there's a lot of people who say, and again, I'm not picking on Ellie. She brought up a shitload of points that I was going to bring up on the skeptic side. There's a lot of people who supposedly, you know, predicted the Great Depression. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is true. That is very, very true. But if so many people were able to predict the Great Depression, then how did so many... Rich motherfuckers lose every single penny they had. You gotta, you gotta keep that in the back of your mind. Now the Blumenthal's, there was a struggle for power because of money between David Kahn, which was a hometown friend of Edgar Casey, and uh, you know the Blumenthal's, uh, him and his brother uh, Morton and Edwin. There was a struggle of power over. Edgar Casey's abilities and who basically owned the rights to him. Now, a lot of people are like, well, Edgar Casey was in it for the money. And this is why I bring this up. As skeptics, they're like, well, he was in it for the money. Edgar Casey was never fucking rich, ever. He never made more than $3,400 a year, which is what uh, the, uh, the Blumenthal's basically paid him per year to do what he did to help them out on their finances. $3,400 a year at this point in time is a, about $47,700 uh, U.S. currency in today's money. That is not shit. I mean, granted, you can live on that just fine. But after taxes and all that bullshit, it's going to be real fucking hard, okay? So it, you have to keep that in the back of your mind. And also... The they when when they lost the power struggle, basically, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I've been sick for the last couple of days, so I'm gonna have to drink more beer and clear my throat. <sighs> yeah, it tastes so good. Anyway, you know we have to keep in mind that that the Blumenthal's eventually lost the power struggle over Casey. Now, uh, David Kahn, it should be noted made a small fortune in the furniture industry. Now, how he did this was he claimed that it was because of the help of Casey. Whether or not that's true, I'm not sure, but he ended up being pretty fucking well off. As for the Blumenthal's, when they lost the power struggle, and yes, it was over money, 
uh, there were a couple bad readings that Edgar Casey did. Uh, the the Blumenthal's got pissed. They pretty much hired another psychic to, you know, out psychic Edgar Casey, and pretty much pushed him out. They kicked him out of his fucking house that they owned that they had bought for him, and he was pretty much a he was poor as fuck. He never really made any money, nor did he ask for money. Because also a lot of skeptics bring up, hey, you know, he did charge. Here's the deal. He didn't charge. People charged for him in return, in, in his, uh, you know, return for things. All Edgar Casey wanted was that fucking hospital, and he wanted to help people. Now, granted, there might have been some other underlying reasons that we don't know about, but then we have to really question the integrity of Edgar Casey himself. Now, since over the course of a hundred fucking years, you have not really heard any people fucking say anything bad about the guy, it's kind of hard to believe that his integrity was that damaged, okay? Now, after the Blumenthal's, uh, after the Great Depression, which uh, Morton and Edwin actually. Uh, straight up admitted they're like we didn't follow Casey's advice on getting out so we lost a shitload of money here's the deal they didn't lose a shitload of money in 1930 right after the crash they went abroad spending their money on lavish vacations living it the fuck up all that good stuff now when they came back they ended up spending a shitload more money they were expecting the the depression to be a little bit uh you know further down the road than what it actually was and when they came back from their vacations and all their lavish spendings there was even it was it was the depths of the great depression so they ended up having some creditors and they had to you know pretty much get rid of a bunch of their investments and assets and all that shit to pay everybody off but they ended up pretty fucking well off. Actually, Edwin, or I believe it was, no, it was Morton. Morton even said in 1930s, like, I still have a million fucking dollars in cash. I'm doing just fine. Now, why this is important is, like I said, because he was getting a lot of financial readings from Edgar Casey himself. Now, if Edgar Casey was able to do this and wanted the money, why in the fuck didn't he do it himself? We have to think logically, people. If if he was so hell-bent on being fucking rich and or famous, then why wasn't he investing all this money, all of his money that he was making, you know, even though it wasn't much, he could have invested it to the point where he could have made a shitload of money. He could have gone into business with David Kahn if he wanted to. He could have invested his money with the Blumenthal's if he wanted to. But instead, he took that small annual salary... And part of the reason that the Blumenthal's were pissed about money is because Edgar Casey was giving away free shit. The guy could not fucking say no to anybody. He was giving away free meals. He was doing free readings. He didn't care. He wanted to pretty much just help people. And I think that's what a lot of us forget is that to Edgar Casey, it was not about the money. Otherwise, if he was a psychic and he was able to make other people money, then he probably would have tried to make himself money. Now, moving on from that a little bit, um, we have to take uh, a lot of, a lot of, on the skeptical side, 
we have to take into, you know, the transcripts. Everybody brings up the transcripts. Well, there's no names. There's no names on the transcripts. How can we track down these people? How can we document these people? Well, here's the deal. Like, it's the early 1900s, all right? Going to see a psychic was not a fucking cool thing to do. It wasn't something that you posted about on fucking Facebook. It was an embarrassment. People would think you were crazy. You would be ridiculed. You'd be excommunicated by the fucking church. Casey himself was charged with heresy by his fucking church and eventually kicked out. I mean, he eventually was found innocent, which I don't know what the fuck the church is going to do to him anyway. I don't know. Maybe give him 40 lashes or something. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is no, there were no names on the transcripts. They were fucking numbers. But the transcripts were still word for word. So while we take that into consideration, you gotta also take this into consideration. If he was not a psychic, why would some of the most important and smartest people in the world seek him out to give them readings? People... You know, the likes of a U.S. president and Nikola Tesla himself. Now, granted, these are not documented who they are in the transcripts. But one skeptic, who eventually became a believer after he started reading all these transcripts, I believe his name is Sidney Kirkpatrick. I'm not sure on the last name. I really can't remember. To be perfectly honest with you, I have no fucking notes right now. So I'm just kind of freeballing this shit. But he, what he actually did in one of his books is he tracked, he documented the exact timelines of Edgar Cayce, Nikola Tesla, and the said U.S. president. Now, at the time of one of the readings it, that was said to be for the president, Edgar Cayce was actually documented, documented on paper to be in Washington, D.C., for that time frame. I believe it was anywhere from like three days to a week. I'm not 100% sure on the time frame. Now why would a poor old boy from Kentucky go to Washington D.C.? For no fucking reason. You know. I don't want to go there. Fuck Washington D.C. You know. And that's not even a political thing. I'm just saying fuck Washington D.C. Another thing is Nikola Tesla. Now we. Like I said there's no names. But if you track where Nikola Tesla was. At certain points in time in his life, which is very, very documented, and track at the same time, which is what this uh, what this author did, the movements of Edgar Casey. There was a meeting point of about two fucking days, to where those two were in the exact same town in the exact same hotel on the same day, and this reading included things about electromagnetic fields and. Uh, a couple, a couple other things that would, you know, pretty much give Nikola Tesla away. I, I, for the life of me, I cannot remember. Uh, it was transmutation. That's what it was. Transmutation. Now this is pretty much Tesla right there in a fucking nutshell. Another thing that we have to bring up, while we're, you know, referring back to the psychic debunkers, Harry Houdini. Okay, the great, lovable escape artist that we all know, who was. Pretty much the fucking shit. I mean, he was pretty fucking amazing. Uh, in the later part of his life, he lost his mother. Now, he went to psychics to see if he could try to contact his mother. Because he he did have a supernatural belief. 
He really, really, really did. He was somewhat of a spiritualist. But what he didn't appreciate was people that we, you know, were charlatans, praying on the weak, praying on the vulnerable. So what he did in the latter part of his life is he went around the fucking world and debunked these people. And when he did them, he would expose them for their tricks. And he would be very, very vocal about it. There would be print-ups in newspapers. There would be fucking art, you know, articles. He, there would, it was everywhere in the fucking media. And these people were ruined. Now it is stated that there was a meetup between Harry Houdini and Edgar Casey. I fucking tried for a week to get information on this. I could not find information. Now. If we look at it that way, then yeah, maybe it's bullshit, maybe it's not. But here's the deal. There's a lot of people we can't fucking track down now because everything was in numbers. But how the story goes is that Harry Houdini did meet with Edgar Casey, and when he walked away from this meeting and had his reading, he said absolutely nothing. But the thing about the story is, is that both of them agreed not to talk about it. Now what the fuck is that all about? Some people say, well, the Blumenthal's probably paid, you know, fucking Harry Houdini off not to say shit. Let me tell you something. Harry Houdini was an angry little man, alright? He was fucking pissed off at psychics. And he already had plenty of his own fucking money. So I highly fucking doubt that is any kind of anything in the scenario. So, I mean, I kind of exclude that, but I can understand why some people still are like, well, there's no documentation. Well, if both parties agree not to fucking talk about it, then there's probably not going to be any documentation. But this story is in several places. You know, it's in more than one place, and there's actually a musical. Um, and, 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 you know, there's shit written by Harry Houdini where he refers to a little boy named Edgar. And Edgar basically did dream interpretations for him, you know, quote-unquote, in whatever writings this is. Like I said, it's a fucking musical. It's really weird. But that should be noted. That's It's really fucking interesting, and it's very coincidental. So I don't know how much faith we want to put into that. Now, if it was true, if you could find documentation that these two actually met, and fucking Harry Houdini did not ruin him, or or his reputation, then that right there should fucking make you somewhat of a believer. Because a lot of other people, they say Edgar Casey was a fancy ass magician and all these people around him made him look, you know, extremely kick ass. You know, let's look at this for a second. In order to do what he did, on average he gave two readings a day. Over the course of 44 years. Now there were times when he quit. But there were also times that he towards the end. Where he was doing 6 to 8 readings a day. So on average. He did 2 readings a day. For 44 fucking years. How can he manage. To have. That kind of street magician. I don't want to say street magician. But you understand what I'm saying. How can he manage to. Have this kind of magic team around him to perform all these fucking tricks two times a day for 44 fucking years straight and that would include people coming into his life people going out of his life because al lane who was the very first original 
person who put him under hypnosis and taught him how to do it himself. Um, Edgar Casey didn't even trust that motherfucker. I mean, that's why he was so, you know, adamant about not doing what he did. It was straight up because he did not trust Al Lane. Did not trust him at all. Al Lane pretty much kept talking to talking him talking uh, him into it. You know, just very, very persistent, and finally he gave in because that's, you know, he was under the assumption, and Al Lane himself was like, you can help people, and of course that was something that Casey had always wanted to do, and that that is proven fact. That's from people who were around him, that knew him, that were around, you know, with him for years and years and years. So, you know, you kind of have to take that into account when you think that he was just some kind of fancy ass fucking magician like a David Blaine or some shit takes David Blaine like two fucking years to plan one fucking magic trick where he freezes himself in a block of fucking ice for like three days I don't even know I don't watch that shit but you gotta take that into account he was consistent now on a side note with some of the healings uh, Ellie brought up a great point with a, a photographic memory now, whether he slept on a book and knew the whole book inside and out, I don't know. Now, Casey and his relatives stated that until he fell asleep that one time on the book, he was a very poor student. Now, you would naturally assume that if he's in school, he knows how to read, and he did know how to read before that. So why wasn't he retaining the information then? I can't really imagine like any 9 or 10-year-old kid from the beginning of their life that says no you know i don't fucking want to be a movie star what i want to do is you know fuck people over by giving a bunch of psychic readings and not making any fucking money off of it i mean you have to take that into consideration and i'm not trying to be condescending by saying that but i'm saying you have to look at it from a common sense perspective now he he might have had the ability uh, of photographic memory. There's a fucking great chance, which would have gave him the ability to retain all this medical knowledge. But if that was the case, why the fuck wasn't he the greatest doctor on the goddamn planet? Why did he decide to go this route and basically get made fun of and fucking shunned by all kinds of people who totally disrespected him most of his fucking life? you got to take that into account. And, you know, I mean, you know, you get, you really got to think about that. I don't know how many, how many more things we can really get into on the facts and theories side of things. Because, you know, like I had previously stated, it's hard as a skeptic to look at something from the point of view of a skeptic. Yes, you have to go into it as a skeptic, but you have to have an open mind. Otherwise, there's no fucking way you're ever going to be swayed in one direction. You're, or you're always going to be swayed in one direction. You're never going to have that inkling that says, you know what, maybe he did do that. Maybe he fucking did. And yeah, some of Casey's predictions were wrong. Let's look at Atlantis. Yeah, Atlantis never came out of the fucking sea off the coast of Florida. But Bimini Road was found within a year of him saying it was going to be found. Now, some people, you know, they it's very debatable on whether or not Bimini Road is a, a man-made structure. Personally, 
my personal opinion from looking at it and uh, doing a you know very limited research on it. It's hard to fucking believe that that is that is a natural occurrence. It really fucking is hard to believe. And if you guys don't know what the Bimini Road is, you really need to look it up. Check out pictures. You know, get some of your facts in there. It's really hard to believe that that is a natural occurrence. And yes, even though Edgar Casey was vague in a lot of his predictions, that doesn't mean that he was wrong. Just because he was vague in his predictions does not mean that he was wrong. You know, it should also, on a side note, be brought up that when Edgar Casey gave, you know, his on average two readings a day for 44 years, not one reading he gave did he ever speak in the first person. That is a very interesting fact because you would think at one point in time that he would have slipped up just once, but he didn't. That is a very interesting fact right there. Now, we can sit there and criticize the validity of his predictions all we want because Edgar Casey himself never claimed to be a psychic. He never claimed to be a psychic, people. Like, that is something that people pinned on him because of some of the shit he was saying. And when he got to the life readings, when he did his first one, it freaked him the fuck out. Like, he didn't know what the hell to do. The Blumenthal's were Jewish, so they pretty much had no... Christianity mindset on what was coming out of his fucking mouth. But Edgar Casey was a very devout Christian from a very young age. And when he started saying some of those things, it freaked him out to the point where he started getting into all these other spiritualities and religions. Now, I find that really, really fascinating because he himself wanted to find out what it was all about. Now this is very this is documented when he starts researching all this other shit. Now why I find that fascinating is because if he was some kind of fake, if he was some kind of charlatan, then why would he even fucking care? Can I ask you that question? Why the fuck would he even go to the trouble of giving a shit? If he was only in it for fame, which I don't know what fame he ever got. Yeah, he's considered the the greatest, you know, the sleeping prophet. But in all honesty, like, he never really wanted any of that shit. The only thing he wanted from the year, like, 1910 was a fucking hospital so he could help people. No fucking person grows up wanting to fucking own a hospital and fucking help people and give a shit away for free. Now, I'm not saying that I'm pro-Casey. I'm not saying I'm anti-Casey. But I'm saying we have to look at this from common sense standpoints. Yeah, there's a lot of logic involved with the skeptics. There's also a lot of logic involved with people who have had near, near-death near experiences who fucking describe the exact same thing that Casey had described when he would go into his trances to give his readings. So, I mean, we have to look at this ourselves. What do you believe? You know what I mean? So, I guess, for me personally, you know, at the end of the day, here's pretty much, I guess, what what I think about it. I think Casey had a lot of fucking integrity. 
And I think he had too much integrity. Because if he was able to help these people out make money, which the Blumenthal's are well documented to have had money after the Great Depression, and they were directly associated getting financial readings from Edgar Cayce. Granted, other people, you know, quote-unquote, predicted the Great Depression. But if that was the case, why the fuck didn't somebody stop it? Why the fuck didn't somebody say, hey, you know, maybe we all, you know, need to quit fucking doing this shit? Because in all honesty, like, the bubble got pretty big there towards the, you know, the very beginning of the Great Depression, for those of you who don't, you know you know, know that much about it. It was, it was fucking bad. There were fucking kids selling newspapers on the side of the street that owned fucking stocks. That's how bad it was. And at the end of the day, if he was in it for the fame, why, why wouldn't he put himself out there? He never put himself out there. People put him out there. Why was he so fucking pissed when his father and uh, old Mr. Ketchum were getting information on him on fucking horse races and betting and all this other good shit, trying to make money off of him? Edgar Casey got pissed and didn't talk to his dad for a long fucking time because of that, because it violated his trust, because Casey wasn't about that. Like I said, he had integrity. Now, as for the soul-searching... Edgar Casey, in a lot of his readings, when he starts doing his life reading, he, he starts talking about the soul. And you can put it into a lot of different perspectives, depending on what your views are. You know, skeptics are going to say, well, he doesn't say it exactly word for word. Well, of course he fucking doesn't, because he doesn't fucking know it exactly word for word. You know, and it's like you got the believers saying, well, this is what he was saying because this is what I believe in or this is how I interpret it. It's all open for interpretation. But all I can stress is that when you start thinking about Edgar Casey, you have to look at it from a skeptical standpoint, but you have to keep an open mind. No skeptic is ever going to find validity in anything Edgar Casey ever did. And no believer is ever going to find anything wrong with anything Edgar Casey ever did. And that's the bottom fucking line. So, I beg you to do your own research. Look into it yourself. It is... I'm not going to lie, this four-part series fucking killed me. <laughs> like, I've had headaches for days. I'm actually just getting over a cold. That's why this episode is so late, and I apologize for that. But... I have no opinion on this because I had to look at it from a very neutral standpoint. Uh, my personal opinions, uh, if anybody wants to know them, they can always fucking message me or ask me. But for the listeners who don't interact in the groups or Facebook pages, I wanted to give you the most neutral information that I possibly could. And I hope that I did that in this four-part series. I really, really do. Um... Like I said, you just gotta, you know, a lot of shit's open for interpretation, but there's a lot of shit that Casey did that cannot be explained. That cannot be explained. I will say this, um, Ellie brought up a good point about uh, his wife having tuberculosis. Um, in the South, with the humidity level, the percentage for survival was not 50%. It was more like 20 to 30%, and that's why a lot of people in the U.S. had to move to the Southwest 
or uh, more towards the uh, central west because of the drier climates. There's no humidity out there. And Edgar Casey did not diagnose his wife. Other doctors did. Um, he was just the one who gave her the reading. Yeah, you can take what you need to out of that reading. Granted, I'm not saying I agree with whatever he said. I'm not saying, you know, I disagree with it. You can take it as you want to take it. Um, but there are also people that were alive long enough to give interviews. There's his kids that fucking have stories for fucking days about the shit that this guy could do. I don't understand why fucking kids would, you know, would fucking just make up all these crazy ass for fucking stories that are corroborated by other fucking people who were there. You know, I mean, did they just sit around for like 30 years and say, okay, this is the exact story we're going to tell word for word. That part intrigues me quite a bit. I'm not even going to lie. It intrigues me a lot. But he did have a lot of predictions. But at the end of the day, like I said, Edgar Casey never considered himself a psychic. Never once. That is something that people pinned on him. So keep that in the back of your mind when you make up your decision. Um, I beg you, do your own research. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, sorry it was late. Been under the weather the last few days, so um, I suppose until uh, this next episode, I will see you fine folks on the flip side. <laughs>